0: Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Menace, anyone? (laughs) Season 2, episode 20, first aired April 6th, 1986, and the IMDb summary reads, Jessica attends a tennis tournament as the guest of honor. She struggles to protect her former student, Carol, when her boyfriend is blown up in her car and she is the only suspect. All right, this is dramatic. Again, it was hard to watch and we discussed why a little bit last week. So I will start with the returners. This will be a good review as always. No, but seriously, it was a bit hard to watch, but it is well acted. So I will give them that. Plus, we have Van Johnson. We have Brian Cranston. We have Linda Hamilton. Like, we're three for three right here, okay? And, of course, Dame Angela Lansbury. So how could this not be a great episode, but still dealt with some issues? Yeah, I know. All right, so... We have one returner, and that is Van Johnson. And we will recognize him from one of my faves Hit, Run, and Homicide. Okay. (laughs) He played Daniel O'Brien, who was an electronics person who was accused of killing his two, well, one of his former bosses by the use of a remote-controlled driverless car. Yes, we remember it was the wood-paneled station wagon. I think a lot of us remember how dangerous it was and fun at the same time, riding in the back of one of those things facing traffic. Okay, wait, okay, I went back for a second there. I'm back, okay. (laughs) Those were the days, right? How dangerous, but exciting nonetheless. (laughs) All right, so let's get into the cast and the episode. So we have Mitch Mercer, Brian East, Barbara McDermott, Carol McDermott, Elliot Robinson, Doris Robinson, Sissy Barnes, Donnie Harrigan, Detective Sergeant Len Berger, Detective Lieutenant Tad Travis, and Rosie. So let's get right into this episode. So basically, they are having an exhibition game of the top rated tennis stars, men and women, singles, and it is sponsored by, chaired by, hosted by, in honor of Jessica Fletcher. So of course, she's there, and we start out with Elliot, who is Van Johnson a man of a certain age at this time and Carol played by Linda Hamilton a much younger woman okay and they're playing (laughs) tennis and they would have us to believe that they were equally matched okay I spotted Elliot's stunt double for sure now I don't know Linda could have been playing herself all right she was young enough to do it but yeah they were not equally matched in real life so let's let's not do that to her okay (laughs) she ends up winning of course because honestly I think she was holding back so she didn't embarrass him and they were just having a bit of fun that's what I'm gonna assume yeah that's what we're going with okay (laughs) so that is the opening volley of the exhibition it's not a tournament per se however there is a trophy at the end but they are raising money for a children's charity. We find out much, much later that that is the whole point of this is to raise money for a specific children's charity. So I guess it makes all of this worth it. I don't know. Y'all will figure that out at the end of this episode. (laughs) So after Carol proceeds to fall on her behind trying to get uh, one of the serves that Elliot sends over, the exhibition match ends, this introductory match ends. Jessica calls for the games to begin and Carol goes to change her clothes into street clothes. So we then see Jessica and Carol speaking and we find out that Carol actually was a tennis champion about 10 years ago when she won the state championship for Cabot Cove High School And she said that was 10 years ago. So she's probably about 27, 28 at this point. Jessica asked her about Barbara, who is her sister, her younger sister. And she completely avoids the question. Now, Jessica catches this. She does. That does not mean that she's going to stop asking her about Barbara. (laughs) Despite the fact that she's purposefully ignoring the question and it, avoiding answering it directly. So as they're walking, they meet up with Brian. Yes, Brian Cranston, but he is playing Brian East. How convenient. As opposed to last week where Bert Convy had to call his assistant, Bert. <laughs> okay. Brian is now being called Brian. So he definitely knows they're speaking to him. So that's fun. And Brian is bringing bad news, okay? So Brian and Carol are engaged, question mark. She says, Carol says that Brian is the man who thinks he's going to marry her. Now, I didn't see a ring. I didn't really look, for, get a chance to look for a ring, but I guess this is what they mean when they say almost engaged, which we'll refer to later on. But Brian is is happy to meet Jessica. He is aware of who she is and is excited to meet her. However, he's bringing bad news. Like I said, Sissy, not Sissy Spacek, which I really was about to say, (laughs) okay. Sissy Barnes is the top rated female tennis player of the time. And she is part of this exhibition game slash tournament. And she is the biggest draw. And Donnie Harrigan is the top-seeded male tennis player. And he is also participating in this event. But Sissy is threatening to drop out. She says she's had it. She's dropping out. And so Carol runs off to figure this out because she's like, we have an agreement, okay? She can't just drop out. We have an what? agreement?" better known as a contract okay (laughs) all right Carol was not playing games she's like no 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 I'm about to get this fixed so the next scene we are in Elliot's office his daughter Doris is standing in the back with this gigantic glass you know in her hand (laughs) drinking glass in her hand And Sissy is just playing it up. She's like, oh my God, I pulled a muscle. It feels like pins and needles. Now that is a legit thing. Okay, that's a legit thing. But she's playing it up. And it's not true, which is the worst because don't make up stuff like that because it could really happen. And so Elliot's like, would a thousand more dollars, you know, make you feel better? And she's like, oh, it's terrible. Keep trying though. And... Carol comes in and she's like, listen, you signed an agreement. You got to be held up to your end of the bargain. We will sue you, girl, get it together. And then Elliot, okay, then Elliot comes in all handsy, sir. Okay, I know that was a different time, but it's real sensitive now. Real handsy and gross, okay, (laughs) he is old enough to be her father And is all like, oh, don't tempt me. And agrees to give her $5,000 more in addition to her contracted salary. So Carol is pissed, which I would be too, because you're undermining her. And she is the person who put this together. She is the person who got the contracts together, got the contracts signed, and is working this event. And you're undermining her as this like creepy old man like disgusting okay actually not sorry about that so Carol storms off because she's pissed and that's right because Sissy was playing the system she knew to go to Elliot because he was a pushover for a pretty lady with a, a story and she definitely wasn't going to go to Carol because Carol was going to pay- bring out the paperwork. Okay. <laughs> bring out that paperwork and wasn't, didn't care nothing. Like, oh, well, you're going to be hurt playing out there because that's what you're about to do because that's what the contract says. Oh, you don't want to play? You get zero dollars. Actually, factually, you owe us money. All right. I made sure this contract was airtight. Okay. You know, she did. Carol was not out here to play. So, Elliot is trying to say, oh, it's business. It's not business, creeper. Business is what Carol was doing and holding people accountable to the agreements that they made under the terms of said gre- agreement, not feeling up on people and giving them more than what they deserve. Okay? Honestly. Carol was playing it right, and Elliot was being a creeper and not really thinking about actual business, but some other type of business on the personal level. Because his wife died a number of years ago, and I'm, I'm not saying, but I'm saying. Anyway, so once Carol storms off, Doris comes up, and Elliot's like, yeah, I know you don't like Carol, but the fact is she's good at her job... Um, then let her do her job. And sorry, anyway. And (laughs) Doris is like, yeah, um, so I don't think she's doing a good job. I think you need to get rid of her. And Elliot says, you know, I can't tell where envy ends and jealousy begins. And so apparently we find out here that Doris used to date Brian And they were almost engaged, right? I think that term doesn't come till later, but that's how serious it was. And then Carol comes along and he falls head over heels for her and leaves Doris. So this is really uncomfortable for everybody in this situation because Doris has to work there. And not only did Carol get Doris's fiance in training I guess but also got a job that she wants and she's like to her father who didn't even give her this job right it was nepotism didn't even happen in this situation (laughs) that's how good Carol was like he was not even willing to give the job to his daughter instead of Carol so let her do her job anyway Doris is like, I don't care about Brian, whatever. She can have him. I want her job. So Elliot was like, listen, if I ever decide to let her go, you've got the job. And I'm like, really? what? You have just given her a free pass to get rid of this woman. What is wrong with you, sir? What is wrong with you? A lot of stuff. We're not going to list them here. We're going to move on. So the next scene... We are on the court and Donnie is playing Brian, I believe, and he is throwing a fit. So I think he's supposed to be styled after John McEnroe. And so, (laughs) but he's throwing a fit. He is talking real crazy to the linemen and at this point, Carol comes down onto the court and tells him all about himself and shuts him all the way down in the most professional, respectful way that I have seen in this episode. Okay. This is exactly why I said that Elliot should have let Carol speak with Sissy because she did it professionally and she shut it all the way down. Okay. And, Without raising her voice, without getting animated, without getting nasty, without cursing, without being disrespectful. This, like tape this and use this when somebody's acting out of control and you got to shut them down in the most professional way. Okay? Because that's what Carol did. And that is why Carol has this job and Doris, the wallflower, ain't got it. Okay? So she shut him down beautifully and he went on to play the game and she went right back out <laughs> to to the stands to go on about her business she was like not today not today." okay <laughs> I it was beautiful 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 so as she's walking with Jessica um Mitch Mercer comes up and You know, he's like, what were you doing out there? His fans love this act. She was like, no, mm -mm. I said what I said and I meant it. Okay, goodbye. And he's like, I don't need you. (laughs) And so Jessica, I had enough of you too. She's like, what did I do? What did I do? (laughs) Sir, I run this. Okay, I'm the host. I'm the chairperson. I am the guest of honor. How dare you? How dare you? And he quickly walks off because he know he he does not have a rebuttal to whatever either one of those ladies were about to say. He wasn't ready. So Jessica asked about him, like, what is his deal? Like, who is he even? And Carol's like, well, he is Donnie's manager. And he was also Brian's manager until about a week ago when Brian found out that mitch was forging checks so my question is why is mitch not in jail okay he should be thankful that brian did not go to the police okay that's all i'm saying i'm guessing it got out in the press because the police actually do know about that and we'll find out in a second about that they know but my thing is you should be happy that you didn't get turned into the police. So you should be the nicest person on earth to Carol because she could seriously just turn to Brian and be like, I'm gonna need you to file them charges against Mitch because he's getting out of pocket and it would be done. So sir, cross your T's and dot your I's and sit on down. That's what you need to do, Mitch. (laughs) Anyway, so the next scene, we're at the after party from night one to I guess maybe the introductory dinner or just the first night festivities and so we have a security guard who is in the parking lot just looking around he hears a noise but he he stops he listens he doesn't hear anything else and he keeps on walking what's the point of having security if you're not going to actually check out the sounds you're outside and there was a noise that definitely sound like a car moving Okay, if anyone has ever like had an older car, and if you press down on one side of the car, and it comes back up, it makes that type of sound. So he was just not even concerned. And I'm like, I hope they got their money back for whatever they paid security because that was ineffective. However, then we couldn't move the story along. But I'm just saying he was a terrible security guard. That's that on that. So inside the party, we have Jessica and Elliot and Jessica sees in the trophy case a picture and Elliot comes up and he says, yes, you know, that's my wife. It's him, his wife, Doris, and then their daughter, Doris. And then Jessica spots Carol in the background. And she's like, isn't that Barbara standing next to her? And he's like, yes, you know, they were both there that day, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he starts talking about the loss of his wife and that Doris is all that he has left. So a bit of a foreshadow situation. Okay. So as they're talking, Sissy comes up in what I would describe as a project that a grade schooler would do for mother's day you know how they have just like these creative stuffs. like basically if they were given a paper towel tube right the tube in the paper towel given black construction paper and some pink tulle that dress is what they would create okay that's exactly what they would create Boy, girl, non-binary, that is what they would create, okay? That's just it, okay? (laughs) She got some nerve coming up in there looking a hot mess and then wants to make an announcement, not to everybody, but to the people who count, that she is dropping out of the tournament. So of course, Carol's like, "Um, you have a contract. And she's like, I don't think I signed it. And Carol's like, no, I just checked before I came here because y'all want to act out of pocket and talk about you want to drop out. So I double, triple, quadruple checked and your signature is on there. And she's like, are you sure? so I'm like, "Uh, unless you're illiterate, yeah, I'm sure she has your signature on that document. Now you want to play games and cause questions because you know, sissy knows that This is going to get Elliot riled up. Carol's not going to care because Carol is right. And I'm sure she has the signed contract, but it's going to upset Elliot and he is going to react by giving Sissy whatever she wants. Now, Sissy exits the situation. We find out in a minute, she doesn't actually exit the building. And Elliot proceeds to demand from Carol at this party, at this party for a copy of the agreement. And she's like, I saw it and it has her signature on it. And he does not believe her. Now, at this point, when I tell you, I would have been like, you know what? I quit, you figure it out. And I would have left. Because the thing is, what you're not going to do is you're not gonna question my professional acumen for some spoiled brat in a grade schooler's Mother's Day gift, okay? That's what you're not going to do. But she's like, um, it's at my house. Okay. I took them home so that I could make sure to review them before tonight. Okay. So Brian agrees to go to Carol's house to get the agreements to just settle the argument. As he's about to walk out or walk away from the group, he's like, oh, Carol, your car is blocking my car, so I'll just take your car. And I'll be right back. And so she's giving him her keys. And she's like, I hope this is something we can laugh about tomorrow. But I don't feel like laughing right now. Red, I feel like punching Elliot in the throat. (laughs) Like he is such a terrible person in this episode. Anyway, so Brian then takes the keys and leaves. He then asks Jessica if they can actually have the dance that they were trying to have. She says yes. She should have said no because as disrespectful as he was to Carol, your former student, the only reason that you're doing this is because she asked you to help out, okay? That you should have had enough disgust in what you saw play out in front of you that you should have been like, no, I'm going to sit this one out. Let's let's solve this issue because you really did embarrass my friend In front of these people. Okay. You just. I would have never danced with him after that. Like no. Jessica that was not a good move on your part. We have I think two more instances. Where I'm like girl. No. No Jessica. That's not the right way to go. This is one of them. So as they're dancing. Elliot looks to the left. And he sees Doris. His daughter and Donnie the anger management needed tennis pro making out on the dance floor. And it's like, honestly, they're both young. So is it appropriate at a business event? No, but they're adults. So what you gonna do? Okay, she makes terrible decisions and that's why Carol has the job she has and Doris does not. There you go, point blank, period. So while they're dancing after he sees that there is an explosion right so we see we're going outside and inside the camera is going back and forth and we see Brian get into the car put his seatbelt on and then we go back into the after party and then we hear the explosion and then the camera pans back out and we see the car exploding right it is They must have had a really nice budget for this episode, okay? Because that explosion was epic. Okay, it was epic. It did not look fake. Now, I don't know if we're going to see that if we were in 1986. I don't know if we would have seen that in a movie. I don't know if they borrowed that clip from another TV show. I don't know. But what I'm telling you is it was properly done it was a great effect. It didn't look cheesy. It looked legit. Hand clap for that. Hand clap for that explosion. Now the terrible part is that somebody was killed in that explosion, but we didn't see any gory stuff. So hand clap to them for that as well. Okay. Cause that would have been way too much. What I noticed was that Sissy was the first person out. And I'm like, wasn't this like 10 to 15 minutes later from when she stormed off saying that she quit did she have to stop at the bathroom before she left did she live that far away that she had to stop in the bathroom so she really couldn't do uh as dramatic an exit as she would have liked because I'm like you gotta leave the building you can't just be hanging out waiting for them to run after you or something like that maybe that was it Maybe she was expecting, she went to the lobby expecting Elliot to come running after her and offer her whatever she wanted, but it didn't work out that way. Okay, all right, I, I see what she might have been going for. Like, that's why she didn't leave completely because she was trying to play a card that had worked several times before, probably, but it didn't work this time to her detriment. So everyone runs out and Carol is like the last person to come out. She makes her way down to the front where Jessica and Elliot are standing. And she starts yelling Brian because she realizes that the car that exploded was her car and that it blew up with Brian in it. And so now she is distraught, okay? I, in some level of shock, I could not... Even begin to imagine what she was going through, but then, okay, she is put to the side and in an office, and I'm like, she should have immediately been taken from the scene. Like I understand the police need to ask her questions, but that was traumatic for everybody, but especially her, especially her. So I can't. I couldn't even imagine them trying to ask her questions but they had her in elliot had her in his office with himself and with doris while the police were questioning everybody else so we have sergeant Berger who's speaking with donnie and he's like well you know you said that you were with doris all night but the security guard said that you had stepped out alone um for a period of time. And he's like, I went to the bathroom. Champagne will do that to you. I'm like, well, how long were you? Oh, maybe he, okay. He didn't have to pee. He had to do something else. I, okay. Okay. (laughs) So I'm like, you shouldn't have been gone that long. Oh, I got it. Well, you know, whatevs. So (laughs) we then have Lieutenant Travis, who is speaking with Mitch. And Mitch is like, oh, well, Brian was like a brother to me. And so (laughs) Lieutenant Travis is like, "Uh, so what about people saying that y'all had a knockdown drag out uh, not that long ago? He's like, "Uh, have you ever heard of Cain and Abel? From the Bible, that is. One brother murdered the other brother. So there you go. Um, So (laughs) for reference, if you didn't know. And then lieutenant travis comes in with a, well isn't it because you were forging his name on checks isn't that why you guys had a knockdown drag out isn't that why that might be a reason for you to murder him so that he couldn't go and press charges with the authorities and mitch is like how did you know not that he murdered brian but how did you know about the forged checks But also what we do find out as well is that six years ago, Mitch was arrested for forging checks and Mitch is like, but those, that was dismissed. That was dismissed. And the, I don't remember if it was the sergeant or the lieutenant. It might've been the sergeant who was like, well, isn't that because, no, I think it was the lieutenant. Isn't it because your client was punched in the face and was had her life her her life threatened isn't that why and he's like but it was dismissed it was that doesn't matter it was dismissed I'm like wait a second so you either he or he sent somebody to assault a client who had turned him into the police and threatened her her life that is outrageous I would be like he is suspect number one Okay, that is a good suspect. I am not gonna lie. That is a great suspect here. And Mitch is out here trying to downplay Brian, calling him a second-rate fading star. But Sergeant Berger then says, well, why'd that second-rate fading star beat the socks off of your boy, Donnie? Uh, Checkmate, checkmate. At this (laughs) Lieutenant... Travis was like uh, he is all yours and then walks away Um, but he's not just walking away he's following Jessica who is trying to be incognito although she's wearing a beautiful red floral ensemble so (laughs) and we find out that Lieutenant Travis actually knows of Jessica and has read her books And actually caught one of her lectures that she did a year ago at Boston College. So he asked for her thoughts because he saw her facial expressions and that she was shaking her head. And he recognizes that look from when his wife gives him that look. So So Jessica's like, why are you questioning people who had a grudge against Brian? There's no way that he could have been the intended target because Carol's car is the one that was blown up and there was no way that someone could have figured out or even guessed that Brian would be the next person driving Carol's car. And the lieutenant agrees and he says, yeah, I know there's no way that Brian could have been the target. And they're both right. Brian was not the target. But he just wanted to shake up that guy, Mitch Mercer. You know what? I don't blame him. Go on with it. He's a terrible person. That's fine. Have fun. So the next scene, Jessica is taking Carol home. She has been in Elliot's office with him and Doris. And now she's gotten permission to take her home. And Carol will be questioned tomorrow. Because again, it's literally 30 minutes ago that her almost fiance was murdered in a very horrific way so yeah maybe she needs the night to get her thoughts together spoiler she's not the murderer so this is okay i'm not mad about this at all so jessica takes carol home and she asks to stay with her and i agree she should not be alone at all she should not be alone um, Jessica, where's your luggage? Where is your luggage that you're staying over at this woman's house? I, I'm confused how that's going to work, but okay. So Jessica proceeds to again ask about Barbara. Like maybe we can contact her and have her come and stay. You shouldn't be by yourself. And Carol's reaction when she mentions calling Barbara to come stay with her. She's like, no. No. And she's like, just because she's back doesn't mean that I want to see her. And Jessica's like, back? What do you mean back? And at this point, Carol walks off to go to sleep. The phone then rings. Jessica picks it up. The person doesn't identify themselves. They ask for Carol. And then they hang up. So it's a very suspicious call. We do find out who it was later, but right now it's suspicious. Jessica seems surprised that Barbara is not around. Now We find out later that they were very close and that Carol was basically a second mother to Barbara, but it's been 10 years. And the fact is families disconnect. No matter how close they are, sometimes you grow apart. Sometimes people don't get their lives together, so you got to love them from a distance. But she seems like so confused in how in 10 years Barbara could be so removed from Carol I I don't know like I that's how relationships work sometimes sometimes families stay super close sometimes they become super close but this isn't unusual and Jessica's acting like this is unusual so the next scene It's a press conference that Elliot is having talking about Brian and that the rest of the tournament will be done in Brian's honor. And that's when we find out that the proceeds are going to a children's charity. And that's what Brian would have wanted. Now, as they're finishing up this press conference, one reporter asked something inappropriate to Sissy and somebody, another reporter asked something inappropriate to Donnie And Donnie is about to rip that guy's head off. He is not playing games. He's not putting on a show. And Mitch is like, what are you doing? He just lost a really close friend. I'm like, honestly, Brian was not a really close friend, but this was a traumatic situation. So I can understand him being very upset just in general as a human being who walked out of a a party and saw that someone that was a colleague of yours at basic level was a colleague of yours was killed in such a a horrific way so those reporters were terrible now I think they were a parody right an exaggeration of reporters however some reporters can be that invasive and disgusting so mm, sample set I guess so the next scene is the next day and Carol has returned to work because she believes this will help get her mind or keep her mind off of what happened to Brian, which I understand. I understand. She's pushing her way through. She's trying to see what works for her. And you know what? We're just on the ride with her. This is a traumatic situation. So we see Elliot and Jessica speaking, and there are changes being made to the trophy case. And Jessica makes note that they're making room for a new trophy. And Elliot says, yes, you know, something that we're giving to Brian post-humorously. So after he has died. And they then start to talk about Doris, right? So Jessica asks how Doris is doing. And Elliot makes a comment about how it's interesting that both Carol and Doris are upset over the same man. And so we find out from Elliot that Doris and Brian were almost engaged, right? So I was like, how is somebody almost engaged? But then I remembered that the comments that Carol made about Brian, that this is the man who said he's going to marry me. And not necessarily being a ring there, but conversations had and moving towards that. So I get now the almost engaged comment. Apparently, once Carol came on the scene, Brian left Doris and started to date Carol, and it's clearly serious. Well, at the time of his death, was very serious, and they were on the verge of being engaged. So, Jessica then brings up Barbara, and Elliot's like, "Oh, you don't know? Oh, you know, you don't know what happened." After that photo was taken that they had discussed a few scenes earlier where Carol and Barbara were in the background Elliot tells Jessica that Barbara came to the event high on drugs and asked Carol for money. Carol refused. They got into a huge fight and that was the last time they saw Barbara alive. The next day she No, he said that was the last time they saw Barbara alive and that was it. And so Jessica goes to the precinct and I believe it's the lieutenant and sergeant who inform her that there was a flight that Barbara was on the next day that crashed and everyone died and, and that was that and Barbara's name was on the manifest. And Barbara's information was in the system for having purchased the ticket. Now, this was 1983, because the show was 1986, it's that, that's the date of the show. 1983 is when this happened. And any of us who were alive in 1983 and dealing with travel, air travel, It was a lot looser than it is now. That is for sure. So just because her name was on that flight manifest does not mean that she made it on that plane. And I'm assuming that the crash was such that identifying the bodies were kind of like a guess. Perhaps where maybe they were still in their seats and that's how they identified the the deceased, but there wasn't DNA or anything like that. Like they did for September 11th. It was their best guess or if they could visually identify the passengers. So it's not dispositive. It's not a guarantee book closed. Barbara is dead. So the next scene we're courtside at the tennis stadium, I guess you would call it. And Jessica and Carol are talking. And Jessica's like, why didn't you tell me about Barbara? You have me prattling on about this. And I wouldn't have continued to talk about her had I known that she died. And Carol's like, what are you talking about? Barbara's not dead. Like, I know about the plane crash and everything like that. But Barbara's not dead. I saw her a few weeks ago. And so now Jessica is confused because... She's like her name and information. She bought the plane ticket, which is correct. But again, like I said, there's no guarantees that she actually boarded that flight. Actually, Elliot did tell her, uh, Jessica, about Barbara dying in a plane crash. At this point, after Jessica speaks with Carol and Carol denies that Barbara died, she then speaks to the lieutenant and sergeant and they quote-unquote, confirm that Barbara died in that plane crash by showing Jessica the manifest and the printout showing who purchased the ticket and it had Barbara's address and information on it. So the next scene, we are at Carol's house and it's Lieutenant Travis and he's following up on a lead, I'm assuming. The door is unlocked. He walks in, he announces himself. He's calling for Carol as he walks into the house further. We see uh, the, we don't see her face. We don't see her head or anything like that. Any distinguishing facts, except that she is a white woman wearing a blue strapless dress and she's behind a door. At some point, the detective passes that door, which turns out to be a closet and The woman steps out, raises a huge knife, and stabs the lieutenant in the chest. The next scene, we are again at Carol's house. Jessica is getting out of a taxi. She walks up to the door. The door is unlocked. Jessica walks in, and she hears Carol crying or sobbing, more like it. And she's like, what's going on? What happened? And Carol turns over, like looks over or points over. Jessica continues to walk and turns the corner and sees the lieutenant stabbed in the chest, dead on the ground. She runs, she calls 911. She asks Carol who did it. And Carol says, Barbara did it. So now, you know, Jessica's like, what is going on? Carol must have had a... A psychotic break Barbara is dead according to this paperwork you know no DNA or anything like that but according to this paperwork Barbara is dead and what how did Carol see her a few weeks ago and definitely how did Carol see her a few minutes ago when killing or right after she murdered Lieutenant Travis the next scene we're at the precinct with Sergeant Berger who is very upset. He is trying to hold it together. He's doing his best to hold it together, but he is extremely upset because his partner was murdered. And he's like, he wasn't just my friend, he was my partner. You can have a lot of friends, but you only have one partner. So this is his, he's like family. I don't know how long they've been partners, but there is definitely a close bond in law enforcement between partners because that person's responsible your life and you're responsible for their life in addition to the safety of the community. But when the chips are down, that is the only person you can rely on. And who knows how many dangerous situations they've been in together and made it home that night. And now Lieutenant Travis went out to the house alone. So Sergeant Berger's like, why didn't he wait for me? Why would he go in there? And, you know, he knows the answers to those things. He he knows the answers to those. It wasn't... He wasn't... Lieutenant Travis had no reason to be afraid of Carol. I don't think they truly believed that she was the one who put the bomb in her car. Because the fact that Brian was going to drive it um, only came up randomly. Right? That wasn't planned or anything. So... I don't think Lieutenant Travis believed that. He wasn't afraid of her. He was just following up on a lead. And we'll find out what that lead is in a minute. But it's understandable how Sergeant Berger is reacting. He needs someone to blame. He has Carol in his crosshairs. And he is believing that it was Carol who murdered his partner, Lieutenant Travis we find out from Jessica that Carol is currently under sedation. So he can't even question her. But honestly, he's in no condition to question her at this moment. This is way too fresh for him. And the fact is someone else should be working this case at this point, to be honest, in the real world. The next scene, we're at the racket club office. So it's, This is where the events are happening. And this is where Carol's office is. This is where Elliot's office is. So Jessica's looking for Elliot. So she goes to his office and finds Doris sitting at his desk speaking with Mitch. And they're finalizing an agreement for Donnie to replace Brian as the leader, right, of the tournament. And so once they... Finish that conversation. Mitch leaves and Jessica is speaking with Doris and she asks about Barbara. She's like, I, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. You know, I'm getting mixed messages about Barbara. And Doris says, well, I never met her. I only saw her once at Carol's house. It was, um, she later says it was a couple of months ago, not three years ago. She never saw Barbara's face. She just saw Her back, and that she was throwing things around, that she was yelling at Carol. Carol was begging her to stop, that she never saw Carol. Like when she was looking in the window or the door or whatever, she never saw Carol. She only saw the back of who she presumed to be Barbara. And she said it was odd because the voice. Of Barbara sounded like a huskier version of Carol's voice. Now, I know what she's trying to set up and we'll find out that she's trying to make it seem like Carol has a split personality, the other one being Barbara, because her sister died. She has now split her personality and she is now Barbara and Carol. However, my thing is, in the real world, Siblings sound like each other. So that's not really a tell for me. (laughs) Daughters can sound like their mothers. Sons can sound like their fathers. Sisters can sound like each other. And you have a cold. You sound a little bit different. But you can be mistaken for your sibling. So her saying that it sounded like Carol's voice but huskier does not trigger my thought that, oh, wait, she has a split personality and she was pretending to be both Barbara and herself. That wouldn't have been what triggered my mind, but that's what it was supposed to trigger in Jessica's mind. So the next scene, Elliot is speaking with Jessica and Elliot reveals that the relationship between Carol and Barbara once they left Cabot Cove and came to whatever state they're in here, that Barbara was troubled and she ended up being committed to a mental health facility and that Carol would visit her and would make a 200 mile trip every Thursday to visit Barbara. And Elliot even provided the name of the hospital for Jessica's convenience. The next scene, we are at the mental health facility that Barbara was admitted to. And Jessica meets Rosie, and they're having a conversation. And Rosie then starts to reveal that her sense of reality is different than Jessica's as well as the nurse that's standing behind her. Come to find out, Rosie is a patient. However, in addition to being a patient, she is also a data clerk. So she inputs file information into the system and has access to said system. So Jessica asked her, well, was there a Barbara McDermott who was admitted here about three years ago? And, or... Before, I don't think she said three years ago because I think it would have been before she um, died, quote unquote, died in the plane crash. And Rosie says, no, there's no Barbara McDermott. I checked yesterday for some guy out of Boston and Jessica says, Lieutenant Travis. And Rosie says, yes, that's him. But he thought it was really interesting when I told him that there was a McDermott But it was Carol McDermott who was a patient here. And the fact is, this is a HIPAA violation. Okay, you can't just be telling people. Like, I understand that she knows that Jessica is a mystery writer and that she does research and that she writes about true crime and and things like that. I get that. But she is not even the detective. She could not even tell the detective lieutenant, Travis, this information just freely he would have to get a waiver or a warrant or a subpoena something to get this information you can't just tell people um yeah so they were committed to a mental health facility you know you can't even really confirm people were in the hospital to be honest half the time so but again it's 1986 things were a lot looser than um, I'm sure HIPAA existed, but maybe not in the form that it does now, and this was okay. You could just tell people's business. Um, she could have been anybody and used that information for anything, but again, it's 1986, so we're gonna go with it. The next scene we're back at the precinct with Sergeant Berger and Jessica, and Jessica is telling him that Carol had been an outpatient at the mental health facility. And he's like, I know already. We know a lot more than you think we know, but there's someone I want you to meet. And so he brings her over to his desk and sitting there is Barbara, the actual fully alive Barbara. And she explains what happened. That yes, she was troubled. She was wild. She gave her sister hell. And they did have a blowout at the tennis tournament that is depicted in that photo three years ago. The next day, Barbara stole Carol's car and ran off. And she picked up a hitchhiker who apparently was more troubled than she was because the hitchhiker pulled out a switchblade and robbed her of everything, including her identification and of Carol's car. And so Barbara was kind of stranded, trying to figure out what to do. She found out the next day about the plane crash. And that woman used her identification and was able to get on the plane. Now, I don't know if this woman even looked anything close to Barbara, but she was able to use her information and that ticket to get on that plane to Chicago. And so when Barbara found out that she was presumed dead, she felt a weight lifted off of her and she figured that Carol was better off anyway because Barbara had been such a terrible sister to her. And she just hitchhiked her way across the country to Seattle where she either developed or continued an alcohol problem and she just recently got clean, got involved with a group. She didn't specify could be AA. She could have found the Lord. I don't know. But she's getting her life together. She has a job. She has a home. She has a fiance and she is trying to make things right. And so she had reached out to, she had come to Boston. She had actually come to Boston because what she had to tell Carol, she had to tell her in person. But when Carol saw her, she just couldn't comprehend the fact that Barbara was actually alive, right? And we'll find out. We'll talk about that in a second. But that caused Barbara to just leave. However, she did not go back to Seattle as yet, I don't think. She called and that's when Jessica picked up the phone. The person didn't identify themselves and ended up hanging up when Carol wasn't coming to the phone. And the reason she called at that time is because she heard about what happened to Brian. And so she was trying to contact her sister. So the next scene, Jessica is speaking with Sergeant Berger and he has found Lieutenant Travis's memo book. So his notebook. And he spoke with a doctor at the mental health facility. Again, none of this information should have been given over to the detective just on site, honestly. But it's 1986, so we're moving on. And although this doctor did not treat Carol, he believes that she had made up in her mind that Barbara was not dead. And when confronted with the actual in-person Barbara, She wasn't able to handle it, which I'm sorry, that doesn't make sense to me. I, they just touched on this. I'm sure there's some other reasoning. I'm sure if you study psychology and psychiatry, you may be able to explain that. They didn't. It didn't make sense to me. If she believes that this woman is alive and then she sees her alive, that would confirm her beliefs. But Perhaps she created some alternative story that when Barbara actually appeared, she didn't fit the world that Carol had created around her and that's why she couldn't handle the fact that Barbara was in fact alive. Or perhaps she actually did believe that Barbara was dead and when she saw her alive... It did not compute because she had come to terms with Barbara being dead. Now, we know for a fact that she did, in fact, see Barbara a few weeks before. Now, that was true. Barbara confirmed that she had seen, she had come to Boston in person and met up with Carol. So Carol did see her a few weeks ago. And that's when she said, just because she's back doesn't mean that I want to see her. So I don't think it was necessarily that Carol had created a world in her mind that when she saw the real Barbara, she didn't fit in to the world that Carol had created. I think it was Carol had come to terms with Barbara being dead only to find out that Barbara was actually alive, which would be very difficult for anybody to accept and compute, like, What in the world? How are you alive? And you just ran off and you just started your own life and you knew that I thought that you were dead? Like, who are you even? So, um, yeah. However, that fed into this portrayal of Carol as having a mental breakdown. Because we also have to think about the fact that Carol did not return to the mental health facility after Barbara died. Now, she was going before Barbara fled because she felt like a failure for not being able to ensure that Barbara was a productive citizen and a good member of society, right? She was getting so much trouble from Barbara and not being able to live up to whatever standard she thought her parents had that she went into a mental health facility. But nothing is telling us that she returned to said mental health facility after Barbara died. So that leads me to think that Carol did not have a split personality, that she had not created this world Where Barbara didn't die and when she saw Barbara in real life couldn't um, place her in that so just refused to deal with her. No I don't think that Carol had a mental health problem. She definitely didn't have a personality disorder but that is what we're supposed to be led to think. Like, that is required for us to go in that direction because the real murderer will be revealed if we don't. The sergeant then gets a call from the hospital. Carol's missing. She got a phone call and then disappeared. So they go to her house. He has one uniformed officer, him and Jessica. Okay, so this person is... Considered dangerous, and you don't even have a whole squad of people. But you were talking about Lieutenant Travis just walking up in there without backup or even you there. Like, mm, I, I, that's worse. Like, you already believe that Carol murdered a law enforcement officer, and you're not going in with for real backup. You tell that guy to go around back, and you got Jessica as your backup who doesn't have a weapon the first. Okay, Sergeant. Anyway, so when they get in there, thankfully, no one's standing behind the door with a knife and murders everybody. There's no one in the house. However, they find a stick of dynamite that looks like they got that straight out of a Looney Tunes cartoon, okay? <laughs> and the house is ransacked and they find this really cheap red wig, okay? And so now the sergeant is convinced that that Carol had a mental break and her personality of Barbara has now taken over fully, right? And so Jessica's like, "Um, so y'all found dynamite, right? Yeah. Um, When Lieutenant Travis was murdered, didn't you go over this house? And the sergeant says, yes, with a fine tooth comb. And Jessica's like, but you didn't find any dynamite. He's like, yeah, but we found it now. Why would she have it out and about now? Why would she do that? And he's like, she hit it, then she unhid it. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. But again, he is too close to this emotionally to properly think things through. He has his mindset that Carol has split personalities that the barber personality has taken over and that the barber personality is the one that murdered his his friend and partner Lieutenant Travis and that now she is and she's the one who set the dynamite in Carol's car as Barbara, because Barbara wanted to kill Carol. However, that doesn't work because she would be killing herself. But okay, we're not going to get into that. We're not, we're not going to get into that. Anyway, so the next scene, Jessica is back at the racket club because she has a hunch. I don't know what the detective is about to do, but Detective Fletcher is on the case because she knows what the real deal is. So she sees Mitch and Donnie, who are with two ladies, and asks them if they've seen Carol. They both say no. And she asks if they saw Elliot, and they say no. So she goes up to Elliot's office to see if he's there. He is actually in his office, and he's cleaning a glass, right, which is kind of a tell, Jessica takes this opportunity to confront Elliot. She first brings up the fact that he removed the picture of him, his wife, and his daughter that had Barbara and Carol in the background. And Elliot's like, no, I needed to make room for the trophy we were dedicating to Brian. It was just a change in design, not for any nefarious reasons. And Jessica says, no, you removed it because you didn't want it to be revealed that Doris had lied about not knowing Barbara or having met Barbara as well. And that not only that, but it would also cover up the other lies that Doris told Jessica. Mainly that she had seen Carol pretending to be Barbara and having this knockdown, drag-out, destructive fight with herself, basically. And that they needed Jessica to believe that, as well as the sergeant and the lieutenant to believe that Carol had a mental health problem. And that's why he directed them and made sure they knew about her stay at the mental health facility and that went into the whole carol has split personalities and she was the personality of barbara and that's why she tried to kill herself and that's why she tried that's why she actually killed lieutenant travis and jessica's like that's not how it happened i don't believe you so where is carol Because you're the one who trashed her house and left that ratty wig. She didn't say ratty, but I'm saying ratty wig and that stick of dynamite just conveniently on her kitchen table. And you're the one who called her at the hospital to get her to meet you or to whatever. Right. You lured her out of the hospital. Where is she? And before he can say anything other than denial... Donnie walks in and he's like, hey, what's going on here? You know, Jessica was looking for Carol and no one saw her and we didn't see her. But the guard said that y'all drove in together half an hour ago and wanted to know when y'all were going to leave. And so Jessica's like, oh, my God, where is she? And Jessica then runs across the hall to Carol's office because the doors closed. opens it up. And Carol is laid out on the couch, passed out with an empty bottle of pills within arm's reach. Jessica runs over, feels her pulse, says there's still time, call the police. So Donnie then calls 911 while Jessica is trying to revive Carol as much as she can. Now, the next scene, we are still in the office's. We're out in the hallway between Elliot and Carol's office and Elliot reveals what happens that he was protecting Doris. He found the dynamite in her house and confronted her about it and Doris admitted to him everything that she had this hate for Carol. The fact is she loved Brian and when he left her for Carol, she snapped that she is the one who put the bomb in Carol's car to kill Carol. And after it failed to kill Carol and in fact killed Brian, Doris then went to Carol's house the next day to finish her off, to actually kill her. But the lieutenant came in And she was afraid that if she was found in the house, that everything would unravel. She would end up being arrested for murdering Brian. So she had to kill him. And Jessica says, well, Carol must have caught a glimpse of Doris, but by a trick of the lights or just her own shock, she thought it was barbara who she saw fleeing the house having murdered lieutenant travis now my question is before we get to the the final part of this um why didn't doris just continue up the stairs for one she could have went upstairs and hid in a closet Because he's looking for Carol. He's not going to be checking closets and looking under beds and stuff like that. Because the fact is, if she wants to talk to him, fine. He does not believe she's a suspect. So he's not going to go, you know, look through any and everything. He wouldn't have checked that closet, even if we're going to be honest. She could have just closed the door as soon as she heard the front door opening hopped in the closet, closed the door all the way and stood behind some coats if she wanted to feel better. And that was that. She did not have to murder that man. And that was outrageous. It it really was. But she was the one who was going through a mental health crisis. That's the worst part. She was the one who had this hatred for Carol and was murderous, not suicidal, but homicidal. And she is just left to her own devices this entire time. And her father's covering up. Now, I understand. I understand that she is all he has because the wife died. But what I'm going to need you to do is not have your homicidal daughter out and about here. You trying to cover up for her. That's crazy. She killed two people. Two innocent people. Okay? If she would have murdered Carol... Carol would have been an innocent person too. She was just living her life being amazing and happened to attract Brian. And, you know, that happens and it hurts, I'm sure. But girl, you can't be out here murdering people. That's outrageous. Anyway, my second question is why was she wearing a party dress? She had on a blue strapless dress that had a nice tie around um sash belt situation. I'm like, what in the world? She is dressed to the nines to come over here and murder somebody. And she was going to stab the person. Well, she actually did stab the person. And we're just going to pretend like she didn't get blood all over her. But in reality, she would have. And you going to mess up that dress like that? I'm confused. Who goes to a murder all dressed up like that? <laughs> she She had some some real confusions. She has some real confused ideas and ideals going on. And she is the one who needed mental health assistance. And I hope she gets that assistance, but she's gonna have to go to jail because straight up prison. She's gonna have to go there for a long amount of time because this, no, no, this is, no, this is, she had enough sense to try to frame Carol for this okay and create this whole split personality situation right she created this whole thing and I don't think her father I think her father played along with it but I don't think he is the one who came up with it I think Doris did and so the fact is she has a mental health issue um that she can get treatment for in prison okay while in prison because this was not the heat of any moment. Okay? This was well planned and well thought out. Now, Brian just happened to be a casualty of this situation because of because Doris took her eyes off the prize. Doris was over there making out with Donnie and she should have been paying attention to what was going on so that she could ensure that Carol was the one who got in that car and was murdered. But she over there making out with Donnie. Girl, if you moved on to Donnie, then why are you even concerned about Carol? But you know why she's concerned about Carol? Not even about Brian, because it's clear that she moved on to Donnie, at least for this week. It's because she wanted that job. And when her father said, if I, de- if I decide to let her go, the job is yours, she was going to make that happen by murdering Carol. You didn't have to tell her twice. You only had to tell her once and didn't even have to give the whole sentence out of your mouth before she was like, oh, I just got to get rid of her. Done and done. Okay, Elliot, this is your fault. This is your fault for not getting your daughter a mental health assistance when she had a breakdown after Brian left her for Carol. Two, that you told her, knowing how much she hates Carol, that if Carol was out of the way, she would have that job. Are you, you ain't, you, mm -mm. no, you're terrible. You're trash. You are actual trash. You were trash for feeling feeling up sissy to begin with, but you're real trash for really setting the stage for your mentally disturbed daughter to go out and kill somebody, two people, not one, but two people, two. She needs to go to prison and actually Elliot needs to go with her. Okay, that's all you have. Hey, you can make friends in prison. You should go too. I don't know how legally you would go. You probably can't, but I'm just saying morally, you should go to prison too because you were not as bad as her, but you were terrible. So there's that. So we end with Elliot saying that Doris is at home with a nurse and she's currently sedated. And then the paramedic comes out and tells Jessica that Carol was asking to see her. Now, my question is, how is Carol fully revived? Now, he done gave her a whole bottle of pills um, diluted in some drink, right? Because she says she took a drink out of the cup that Elliot gave her. And that was the last thing she remembered until now. how she come back that quick? Now, was it a narcotic? And they gave her Narcan, which will revive somebody. And perhaps that quickly, that's going to be my guess. Because otherwise, it doesn't make sense. But at this point, Carol is determined to re-establish her relationship and repair her relationship with Barbara and we end on that happy note. But I'm like, um, so how is Doris just sedated at home? Where are the police? The police need to be at her home, for one. Two, the police need to be at the racket club. Where are the police? The... Are you kidding me? Wait a second. Elliot legitimately tried to murder Carol. And make it look like a suicide. And the police are not there arresting him. They just have the paramedics there treating Carol. Are you kidding me? He needs to go to prison. Now there's a reason for him to go to prison for attempted murder. Not just the cover up of the original death that being Brian's murder, but he attempted to kill Carol by poisoning her. Are where are the police? Get me the police immediately because I I don't understand. I really don't understand and I'm really upset about that. <laughs> this is crazy. Both Doris and Elliot should be behind bars right now, expeditiously, okay? Outrageous. I hate when we don't have a happy ending where justice is served. This is just left to our imagination and I hate that. But anyway... <laughs> So this was a really well-acted episode. Again, I don't really like how they played with that split personality, personality disorder, schizophrenia situation. They kind of just threw this all together and didn't give any foundation or background and kind of just fed into stereotypes. But also remembering, again, it's 1986 and what we know about mental health has come a long way. In t- since 1986 as we're talking in 2021 so I'll give them just a little bit of leeway well that's that on that okay <laughs> clearly not one of my top five I don't know yet if it's one of my bottom five we'll see in a few weeks when we do the season two wrap up Can you believe that we only have two more episodes until season two is over? That's crazy. But I do enjoy the last two episodes of this season, as well as the first two episodes of next season, which is a doubleheader. It is Death Stalks the Big Top. Okay, (laughs) with Courtney Cox. Yay. Um, So I'm looking forward to the next four weeks. Which means, yes, Death Stalks the Big Top will be done in two separate episodes. Just like the murder of Sherlock Holmes. So you can look forward to that. Anyway, I will see you next Sunday at 5 p.m. for The Perfect Foil. We will be down in New Orleans, right, during Mardi Gras. It's going to be live and in living color yes I am looking forward to that episode and there's going to be swords involved yeah if you've seen it you know what I mean if you haven't get ready anyway but until then you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files pod on Instagram on Facebook at the Fletcher Files pod Facebook page yes You can also find me on Patreon. For those who are paying members and those who want to be paying members, you can go over to the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon, and the link is conveniently placed in the description box. So, no excuses. And over there, I have a lot of amazing content as well as early access to each week's podcast. So, I will see you in one of those places or otherwise back here, same time, same place for The Perfect Foil, season two, episode 21. Until then, have an amazing week. Bye.